Restaurant Unstoppable Episode 147. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Cameron Carrington. Cameron, are you feeling unstoppable today? As a runaway freight train, <laughs> unstoppable, buddy. Yes. Cameron Carrington bought a rundown, nearly bankrupt pizzeria. On the first day, nearly half his crew walked out on him. Over the next three years, and against all odds, Cameron was able to increase sales from 12000 a month to $149,000 a month. Since then, Cameron has been an author, consultant, and speaker, sharing the secrets behind his wild success. Today, he serves as founder of Repeat Returns, which grows sales for high-volume independents, multi-unit, and franchise operators nationwide. Cameron, this is just a gigantic overview of who you are and what you're all about. I cannot wait to get your story, but before we do, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you have for us today? Okay, I don't... um know how motivational it is, but what I've been told over the years and the different businesses I've had is that the phrase I tend to utter over and over is, I don't want excuses, I want results. And I'm not one who focuses on how I get the results, I just want them. Some people are very obsessed with uh, how the results are obtained, but I feel that if I make it clear that I just want results, that the people are more empowered to find the result rather than come to me at the end of the day and say, I couldn't figure it out. So that's mine. I don't want excuses. I just want results. Awesome. And uh, I love how you seem to be a very numbers-oriented person. I'm really excited to kind of find out how we can track these results as we go. And I think you'll probably have some advice for us as we get into the interview. But, I mean, your stories, I mean, I've heard – or just in the past hour, I only get a little bit of time to research my guests. And it's been said that, you know – Your stories have been fascinating, Uh, your message is inspiring, and your methods are unconventional. So I cannot wait to kind of tap into that mind of yours. Let's start with when you knew that this industry wasn't just going to be a job for you. And like, when did it all start? Like, when did you know this was going to be a career for you? Well, I didn't know it was going to be a career. Um, I was making a phone call to get tickets to the Rolling Stones one night. They were coming to Salt Lake City. And I called the first, you know, the first number in the newspaper because the tickets were sold out, so I was buying them secondhand, going to have to pay more for them. I get this guy on the phone, and he uh, tells me where his tickets are, and I'm thinking about it, and it's like, wow, that's kind of up in the nosebleed. So I tell him, I said, listen, uh, I'm just not interested in those tickets. I want something a little closer to the stage. And then he said what is etched in my mind forever. You wouldn't want to buy my pizzeria, would you? <laughs> and I said, No. I paused, and I said, well, where is it? And he gave me the address, told me the name of it. I went down the next night. I owned it three days later. And did you get good seats because of this? Um, oh, the, the seats I ended up buying were great. Yeah, probably about <laughs> uh, 12 or 13 rows back. And, um, yeah, a fabulous uh, concert there at Rice Stadium in uh, Salt Lake. But, Karen, what happened in those three days? Like, how did you not even, like, go from, like, not even having this restaurant on your radar to being the owner of it? Like, what made you bite? I went down. They had some very unusual pizzas. The thing the guy had going for him, there was there was two guys, actually, but they were looking to get out. One was kind of the money guy, uh, trust fund baby that had some money. They were going to college in Salt Lake so they could go skiing. But the other guy was a chef and he was you know was in culinary school and and these pizzas were just absolutely off the charts as far as the combinations these were like i've I've always told people if you went to a a social gathering at the white house and the the waiter came by in a tuxedo and handed out an hors d'oeuvre tray that's what these pizzas tasted like is they were just uh i'd never seen pizza like this before prior to then it was domino's little caesar's pizza it didn't matter who could get a pizza here the quickest these were pesto sauce, Alfredo's. One was a, I know it sounds crazy, but it had smoked salmon and olive paste and smoked gouda mm. and capers, and it was just absolutely del- delicious. And I thought, my God, if you can't make money with this, you're a fool. 
And so they wanted, I mean, part of the story is kind of funny, too, is they were asking, they wanted $85,000 for it. Wow. I mean, I presented a check for 33 <laughs> and said, I'll give you this in cash right now. And I sent a realtor over to do the deal just so I could, you know, have a little distance there in case they wanted to negotiate back and forth. But 33000 cash uh, today or I'm going to pass. And they, my realtor told me they actually, he could hear them kind of fighting in the room as he stepped out. And then when he went back in, they said, okay, we'll take it. So it was a quick deal. They got their money. So I'm a freshly minted pizzeria owner. I... <laughs> And, and so on day number one, right, the place has a manager and it has a crew, and that's how I sold it to my girlfriend is, oh, you know, it's got the it's, – it's turnkey. You know, we're just mm -hmm. owning it, and it's got a manager and everything. So uh, 11.30 the next morning, my phone's ringing at home. This is my first day of owning it, right? Mm -hmm. And I answer the phone, and it's this kid named Chance. He's one of the cooks. And he says, uh, Cameron, I'm at the video store uh, next door to the pizzeria here, and – I can't get in. There's nobody here. He said, I do see some keys on the floor and a note. Uh, looks like it was dropped in from the mail drop. So we're supposed to be open at 11. And my cook is calling saying that nobody's there. So I race down there. Sure enough, the manager has quit. Lo and behold, I find out a few other uh, employees uh, aren't showing either. So day number one, you know, started with the place um, just out of control. Wow. And But you turned uh, it around. <laughs> Yeah, and then one of the uh, one of the other cooks, he, he was pretty clever. He um, he said, you know, they're they're paying me seven an hour, but I think I'm worth ten. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, you're worth ten until I can find out, you know, find somebody else or figure out how to do this myself. But anyway, so that's how I got it, and then it just went downhill from there. So. The walk-in, you know, all the equipment was junk. Mm -hmm. The walk-in cooler um, had wasn't maintaining temperature, so all the dough for the first night had kind of blown up in the walk-in. And, and anyway, so within about 30 days, all I wanted to do was sell this place and get rid of it. I realized I'd been a sucker that this, you know, was just more than I wanted to do. And so I was going to fix it up a little bit. And, you know, I wanted to try to get sales up, so I did start – doing a little bit of advertising, the typical stuff, your your mailers, your coupons. And I got a guy in there to do a little bit of fixing up so I could, you know, the place would look a little more presentable. That was kind of the turning point on a particular night. The, the guy that was doing the work thought he was going to be done at 10 o'clock at night, and so I'm down there waiting, 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 and it's just dragging. And so I was beat. Um, I crawled up, you know, on, on top of the walk-in, uh, scattered some boxes around, got a bag of flour, and I just laid down. I told uh, the guy, his name was Richard, that was doing the work. I said, just wake me up when you're done. And so I'm, I fall asleep on the walk-in. I wake up in the morning, and Richard's just now finishing up, but I'd had a dream. I sat down. I, I wandered out front. I knew that today was going to be different. And it's, it's very early in the morning. I sit down. I'm staring out the window. And that's when the thought went through my mind. What would I do if somebody held a gun to my head right now and said, Cameron, you have 24 hours to get one new customer in here paying full price for a pizza? or I'm going to pull the trigger. And I thought that through a little bit, and I thought, okay, all this junk mail is out because it's discounts. Uh, door hangers are out. It's just unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you know, if I had to get somebody and my life depended on it, I would start knocking on doors. And I'd say, Eric, my name's Cameron. I own the pizzeria down the street. A lot of pizzerias around here. Maybe you're getting your pizza somewhere else. I don't know, but... I want to tell you a little bit about what we do and why it might be important to your family. And I would take it from there. I would make him an irresistible offer. Remember, not a discount, but I can do a value add. So, Eric, I want you to try one of my pizzas today. And if you do that, I'm going to include one of our nice uh, Caesar salads because I know your wife's going to love that. I'm going to throw in some garlic bread because the kids are going to dig that. And I'm 
you're going to put in a two liter as well just to make the meal complete for you. And by the way, Eric, if for any reason this pizza doesn't live up to what I've told you you can expect, I will give your money back 100%. And so I realized that's kind of what I would do to get somebody to come in and pay full price immediately. Mm-hmm. So, And is this what you did? I mean, was, say what? Is this what you did? No, I didn't knock on doors. What I did is I wrote letters, and I started mailing them out. Right. And the first thing I did is I got uh, mailing lists that were bounced off the DMV records looking for people with cars less than five years old. So because I had a, you know, an expensive premium gourmet pizza in Salt Lake City, a town of uh, a lot of large families who are typically looking to feed the kids on a budget. In fact, even my own food distributor told me uh, you know, the expensive pizza in this neighborhood just isn't going to fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, three years later, our pizza was uh, being driven in one of our branded vans across the tarmac <laughs> to, uh, or it was about four years later, uh, when the Utah Jazz flew home at 2 in the morning from clinching the NBA finals, it was us that Larry Miller called to bring pizza out. And, I mean, there we oh, are, cameras, cool. you know, 10,000 people. Our van is driving across the tarmac, meeting the plane. <laughs> oh wow, that's awesome! That's incredible, man. Does the story go on? I don't want to cut you short. The next thing I did is uh, they only had a, a cash register, so I'm getting new customers in, and I'm realizing, okay, these people are coming in. Who are they? I've got to get a POS quick, and I mean that's back. I mean we were writing down the delivery address and mm-hmm. stuff on. Um, you know, on paper, and, and, you know, we didn't do a lot of delivery. We would do it if they paid like five bucks. But um, So I got a point-of-sale system, and what sold me on it was they talked, oh, yeah, yeah, you can track all your customers. There's loyalty, yada, yada. And what I realized is quickly is that, you know, POS just stood for piece of shit. <laughs> there was nothing that helped me with my marketing here. It was literally just a database, a list of my customers. So I contacted uh, a local software developer, I told them what I was trying to accomplish. They started writing an access database that had all these different queries that would run automatically. I got the POS company to put a data dump in uh, at 2 in the morning. It would just send all the stuff to my home computer. And then, you know, my new software would start running and looking at that data. And then we would start printing out uh, postcards in the morning to start sending out. And this was kind of the beginning of where I am today was this personalized marketing that really dialed into each individual customer and, you know, presented a very personal experience to them, meaningful messages and, and offers that would go to them based on their purchase history when they came in. And uh, so anyway, three years later from spending a weird night on top of walking cooler, uh, we'd gone from 12000 a month to $149,000 a month, and I uh, got out of the business, and you know, I sold it, moved to Las Vegas. It was always in the back of the, my mind that I would take all of my marketing that I'd been cataloging over the years and everything I'd learned and create kind of a marketing resource for mom-and-pop pizzeria and restaurant owners. Mm-hmm. And so one day i went and faced down a blank uh, screen i started writing and uh, six months and 400 pages later i had what i called the black book mm-hmm. uh, don't bother looking for it i don't uh, publish it anymore and there's a reason for that but the black book i started promoting it it was six hundred dollars a copy it sold out worldwide every continent except antarctica even moscow beijing i mean wow. I, I was amazed at the success of this seemed to be the resource that a lot of independents needed. And one thing led to another. Before I know it, I'm writing articles, I'm speaking, I'm teaching, I'm consulting. I've been in front of Domino's. I've, uh, a coupon I created for, in fact, it's the uh, uh, fastest pizza maker in the world. I think his name's Brian, and he's a Domino's franchisee. But he told me one time that the coupon I helped him create outpulled the do- the Domino's coupons and actually put more money in his pocket at the same time. So <laughs> wow. what I would run into at seminars and workshops a lot, though, is owners telling me, Cameron, <laughs> I got your black book and we were doing really good, but there's a guy three blocks away and he also has it. And he's doing the same. What do I do? I'd run into that. And I'd also run into, hey, Cameron, I started doing a couple things, but you know, something broke down. I, I wasn't able to stay on top of my marketing. And I realized the real fix here is that no restaurant owner is looking for more work to do. They're already overwhelmed. 
marketing is a big job to do it consistently. So I decided at that point that what I'm going to do is I'm going to stop publishing the black book. I'm going to provide a done-for-you marketing service that contains everything I've learned, what we continue to learn because the technology has changed, and now it's a service. We do your marketing for you, and we get it done, and the results pretty much speak for themselves. I can maybe share a couple of case studies with you uh, in a little bit, but that's uh, – that's a story in a rather large nutshell. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, you really painted the picture for us from like how you got to where you were to where you are today. It's incredible. I mean, what would you say your it factors are, Cameron? Like, what do you think most contributes to your success? If you could like just narrow it down to like two or three. In second grade, I noticed that everybody in the class did everything the teacher told them to do the minute she said do it. And I pondered that. And one day I decided I'm not going to do this stuff. And, you know, if, if I want to do it, I will. And I don't mean that I was like this crazy rebel or something, but it was just a, a sh- shift in thinking that I didn't want to be just one of the sheep. Mm-hmm. And that was in second grade. So I think it boils down to pretty much anybody that takes one step forward is already separated themselves from the line, from the crowd. Now, anybody that owns a restaurant or a pizzeria has already separated themselves from the vast majority of people who will never own a business. Mm-hmm. Now, you just need to take one or two more steps to to completely separate yourself from the crowded field and stand out on your own. So, for example, there's dozens of super successful pizzeria and restaurant owners who could have written the black book. Mm-hmm. They didn't. I did. Uh, there's been, you know, I've seen some since, you know, they, a lot of them are rehashes. In fact, the whole crop of uh, speakers at Pete's Expo, they're all friends of mine. They all own the black book. And, and it's, it's really redefined and changed pizzeria marketing. I'm kind of um, warmed up by the thought of all these lives that have been changed by this simple transfer of knowledge to somebody who they got in the pizza business or a restaurant because like you, your passion was there, but you're not necessarily a marketing mm-hmm. uh, expert or, or, you know. So I'm gratified that what I learned and have been able to share has been impactful. And I would say the second thing, just simply perseverance. Uh, if, if you're going to get 10 minutes, 20 minutes, three days a month into something, then there's others that will last longer than you. So... Decide what Absolutely. you're going to do, yeah. step forward, and keep stepping forward. So this is what I wrote down, Cameron, for your if factors. You know, not wanting to be one of the sheep, uh, being willing to take that step forward to stand out. And it sounds like you just see and take advantage of opportunities. You're not afraid to pull the trigger. You're not afraid to go out there and just take a chance on something. And I think that's so important. I mean, look at what you did. You bought... <laughs> you, over a phone call, you bought a restaurant. I mean, that's kind of taking a big chance. But then yeah, that perseverance, Cameron, is what will make or break you. I mean, people, we do things. We pull the trigger. But sometimes we just don't follow through. And it sounds like instead of following through, you just try to take it to the next level. You're always trying to push it just a little bit further, a little bit further, and always improving. That's what I'm hearing from you. Does that sound like close to what you're trying to I think? Mean, is that what you're saying? Well, imagine that morning I woke up on top of the walk-in cooler if I did decided to just continue to be done with it and pack it in, you and I wouldn't be talking. Mm -hmm. Uh, Something seized my mind that morning and said, come on, Cameron, this isn't you. Let's make this work. Mm, I love it. One of my best pieces of advice that I was given from some past guests multiple times is just don't give up. Like a lot of times after the interview, we talk a little bit. I ask for their advice and then say, just keep on doing what you're doing. Just keep showing up opportunities will present themselves and you know that just gives me a lot of hope thank you for sharing that with us and um can you just take this and maybe just apply it to one more story for us Cameron? like where this this perseverance i mean you gave us the example of uh you know buying the restaurant and waking up on or laying down on that flower bag and then kind of like you planned it all out but is there another time where this perseverance really just helped you get to that next level and bring us down to the moment are you familiar with uh, sir mix a lot uh, a little Baby bit. Got back. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, he he was a big uh, rapper back in the mid '80s. Got into the '90s. You know that song "Baby Got Back" mm-hmm. was on you know Charlie's Angel soundtrack and everything. Anyway, yeah. mix hit pretty big for a while. 
I had a friend named Larry Saren. I owned a nightclub in Tacoma, Washington. Larry owned a nightclub in Seattle. Mix was Larry's DJ. Uh, Larry asked me if I would give Mix a gig at my nightclub, and I said, sure. So one night, Mix comes pulling up in a beat-up old Camaro, uh, performs, pulls a huge crowd, and I gave him 500 bucks. He, he was expecting to perform for free, but I gave him 500 bucks, just, you know, thank you, and we had a good night. So, you know, I, I owned a nightclub, Larry owned a nightclub, and now all of a sudden Mix-a-Lot has taken off, and, and Larry and his partner are selling over a million records. And I'm sitting with uh, Larry in a pizzeria up in Seattle one day, and I'm saying, damn, Larry, if you can do this, I can do this. Now, I was just on the verge of opening a second nightclub in uh, Sacramento, California, so I'm down there and I'm pondering, I want to get you know the record business. If Larry can do it, how tough can it be? Mm-hmm. So I look around, I find this band, I you know, talk to them. And, you know, of course, any group that's playing in front of a crowd of eight people, you know, would love to sign a record deal and and be on their way. So I signed the group, it's cause and effect. And I get fully into the record business. Oh, my God. Talk about having a tiger by the tail. I didn't know that what Larry and um, Ed had done was rare. I thought just something you do if you wanted to. We press these records, we press these CDs, I start going to radio stations, and whoa, we're just, you know, it, it's not as easy as I thought, right? Mm-hmm. So I start figuring the game out. You know, you got to hire promoters and distributors and, and all this other stuff. Well, now the tricky thing with distributors is that it's a loosey-goosey community out there. You, you know, they'll get, you have to ship them product. They place it in the record stores, and then when it sells, you get paid maybe six, seven, eight months later. And they're watching you. If you don't have another hit coming, they may not pay you at all because they know you're not going to come after them. So it's a very uh, dangerous situation to be in mm-hmm. uh, if you don't have a follow-up hit. Okay. Okay, so we're, I get a booking agent. We're now on this tour with a band called Information Society. We've got a video on MTV. Whoa, things are starting to click. Anyway... Long story short, uh, we sold about a quarter million units. The uh, keyboard player, the kind of the leader of the band, though, uh, Sean Rowley, he died of an asthma attack in Prince's nightclub in Minneapolis during a sound check one night, and that pretty much ended that. But we had sold a quarter million records. I came out completely whole. Another record company bought out my position because they thought they'd take Rob the singer and, and, and keep rolling with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, second record sold like 80,000 copies, and, and it went down the toilet. But um, that is somewhere where I got into a situation where the bigger the hit you have, the more expensive it is up front, and you're not getting paid till much later. So it became very scary, uh, the financial situation, and it, and it was almost, I don't know if it's my it factor, it was just simply, there's no way out. If you mm-hmm. don't keep moving forward, you're dead. That song, you know, that, that will just drift and die on the vine. And so you've got to keep plowing money, you've got to keep believing, you've got to keep making decisions and and keep pushing um funny side story that though is we're we're, uh me and the band are in la we're on our way to a a video shoot for the second single and i've got rob the singer in my passenger seat you know my car and car in front of us has some uh sean and uh evan the drummer and i had this case of silly string that uh one of the promoters had given me i was going to take that home to my daughter and so here's here we are sitting at a light in Hollywood. The other car is in front of me. I grab one of those cans of Silly String, and I just aim it out the window with my left hand, and I squeeze the, uh, the, the, butt, you know, the mm-hmm. valve on the top there, right? Yeah. This big cloud of Silly String, I, and I just mean to shoot it on the car in front of me with the other band members. This big cloud of Silly String goes out about 15 feet and just coagulates into a big cloud, and it starts drifting left. And to my horror, an LAPD drives right through it, and it just completely covers his windshield. <laughs> so there I am, spending about five hours in jail, uh, arrested for felony discharge of a dangerous weapon, and you know, assault on. I, I mean, all these things. They they dropped the charges. I mean, the cop was a jackass. Even his folks down at the uh, jail said, "Geez, if it had been anybody else, you wouldn't even be here." But anyway, just a funny little aside <laughs> on the uh, record business, but. Oh man! No, got but, into something that's very tough, and it, it you you usually have to be extremely well funded to get a hit record uh, to hit, 
and we did manage to get that to hit. And had Sean not died, we'd have probably been off to a good half a million on that uh, that first record. Yeah, I mean, it's just so many like little things come to my mind listening to you tell this story, and it's just like fake it till you make it, uh, pull the trigger, you know, ready, fire, aim. Uh, like these little things, like you just got to start and uh, roll the punches and you, it's like drinking from a fire hose. Uh, you just got to get in there and if you just pull the trigger and start, so many oppor- th- you know, opportunities start developing. And uh, one thing I noticed too that kind of goes along with the whole perseverance thing is you're always looking to the future. Like you don't get caught up on the past. Like this happened, like you're, you're uh keyboard player passes, but then like what can I do now? And you're always just looking to the future to like – not you know just to find those opportunities to, to to I guess get to the next level or to protect yourself or save yourself. I think that's really interesting, and uh, we just learned so much from this like little story you shared or all the stories. But now I want to find out you know what you've learned from a failure, Cameron, because I feel like we really learn from those failures. So can you take me to a moment where you just failed hard and fell on your ass, and then tell me what you learned from that failure? Well, I told you I was in the nightclub business, and I had a nightclub in Tacoma. Uh, prior to that, I'd had a nightclub in Salt Lake City. I was actually DJing at the time. That's how I spent my, let's see, from the time I was 20 to about 23 or 24, was uh, DJing nightclub. A lot of fun. Uh, you know, you got um, free drinks, girls uh, partying every night. So it was a great, um, <laughs> great uh, career for a while. But uh, I realized that the money was in owning the club, not... Uh, DJing in it. So I spent one year and I bought silver at about five bucks an ounce. I mean, I every paycheck, I just went and bought silver. Mm-hmm. I'd have enough to pay my rent. Uh, I didn't buy a new car or anything. And uh, and silver popped up to about 12, 13 bucks an ounce. I sold. I had my little, my, my stake in life. And so now I'm going to open my own club. And there was another club in Salt Lake City that was. You know, the guy, um, it was located close to a residential area, and the neighbors were going to court or whatever to force this club out. And so I thought, oh, my God, what an opportunity. I will open a club, and I will be the new place when this place shuts down because they announced that their last day in business would be, you know, whatever date. And so there I am. I, I got a friend of mine that I knew from the uh, from DJing and I had him help me wire up speaker you know I got a building and mm-hmm. uh, wired up speakers sound lighting I got you know some scrap neon and all kinds of stuff so it was it was a pretty good place for you know a bootstrap uh, budget but then the club that was going to close down Lee the owner who I he and I became uh, friends after that uh, he just filed a um, an appeal and so here I'm sitting here with this nightclub. He's appealing, so he's going to be able to stay open for months and months, if not years. And so I've got a nightclub pulling 20, 30, 40 people uh, on a Friday, Saturday night, and Lee's has stayed busy. And, of course, you're not going to last long when you're not pulling a crowd. So mm-hmm. I looked at that, and I thought, okay, um, the assumption was his club would close down. I would be there to take that crowd. That didn't happen. So, okay, what do I do? As you've already figured out, I you know bounced all over the West Coast, Salt Lake, uh, Washington, California, and so I thought I've got some friends up in Tacoma, and I went up and I looked around there and I I thought okay, I brought you know I U-hauled all my my sound and lighting, so keep that in mind. I have all mm-hmm. my sound, lighting, amplifiers, turntables, records. I've got everything you need, uh, even tables and chairs, right? And but I'm broke. I am broke. We've got all this stuff in my mom's garage, and we're staying at my mom's house. And this one night, and it wasn't long after we got there, probably just a few days, and I'm looking around. I'm driving. I'm looking for buildings. I've got to find a building, and I've got to find one fast. And I haven't even figured out how I'm going to pay for it, right? But I figure, you know, I'll try to do some clever talking, maybe make the landlord a partner, whatever. I'm down to my last 20 bucks. I have I have a twenty dollar bill. It's all the money I have to my name, and all my nightclub equipment. Mm-hmm. And Nancy, my girlfriend, and when I say girlfriend, we've been together for you know thirty plus years. But uh, I said, you know, we got twenty bucks left. Let's go out and get dinner. <laughs> and she's like, dinner with twenty bucks? I mean, like that's your last twenty bucks. And I said, yeah. What does it matter? 
So we found this Mexican restaurant. We drove over there, and we had dinner. But it was important to me on that night to feel good, not bad. Mm. And I wanted to go to dinner. And so we went to dinner. And Eric, <laughs> I, I drove there one way. And since I was not that familiar with the area, drove home a different way up Bridgeport Avenue. And as I drove up, I saw this big building, had about four tenants in it, but on the, the right-hand side was a big for lease sign, and it looked pretty big, like it might be nightclub size. Mm-hmm. And I went in, there was a little craft store located right next to it. It was the next business in the, in the center. And I asked the lady at the craft store, I said, I take it the the building, you know, the space right next to you is, is this deep and, and, you know, because they have a paper in the windows. I really couldn't see what was going on in there. She said, oh, yeah, yeah. She said, some guy spent a fortune remodeling it into a nightclub and ran out of money. Ha! <laughs> wow. <laughs> I get a hold of the landlord. I walk in. I can't contain my excitement. I have lighting sound, tables, <laughs> chairs, and this place has none of that, but it has everything else, the kitchen, the raised levels, the stages. Oh, my God. And so that's where my next club was, was in that spot. But the 20 bucks that I spent on a good dinner and driving home a different way drove me right by a place that had a sign on a building that a guy had gone broke trying to remodel into a nightclub. So it, you know, we, the landlord and, and I each had the missing pieces to that puzzle. And so that club was a huge success. That's where Mix-A-Lot played. That was kind of the beginning of, you know, everything was, you know, kind of starting from scratch there. But So, Cameron, where was the failure in this story, though? I'm kind of confused. Well... All I'm going to say is the failure, let, let's go way back. Mm-hmm. I opened a club, and it failed because of the premise and the fact that the guy didn't go out of business, he didn't close his place down, and so that failure, by, again, just persevering, moved me forward. And by not wanting to perceive myself as a failure, I spent my last 20 bucks on a good dinner. Mm-hmm. And just that simple act put me in that spot. Awesome. I, mean, I can't, I can't, you know, dial back and say that I just had a lot, you know, a, a, a crushing failure that has turned into something else. I've had setbacks, but that's that's it. There is, you know, the first club failed, and just simply, you know, me ever ready, you know, ever ready bunny. I'll keep uh, ticking forward. Mm. Uh, it's just funny how that uh, moved me to you know, the beginning of, you know, the rest of my life, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, listening to your story, Cameron, it kind of really just reminds me of Napoleon Hill's words, uh, with just living with that definite purpose and the power of attraction. If you just show up every day and you constantly live with that definite purpose in life, like this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open this nightclub and you just keep working hard and just keep putting that energy out there. The world will find a way to provide you with what you need. You don't necessarily need to have everything right now, but as long as you're continuing to work, opportunities will come. And I think this is just a perfect example of that. What do you think? I do. It's, you know, the mindset, I don't like to be, I won't put up with negative people. Uh, You know, the, the fact that, you know, you're looking for a new car and you want a black 350Z convertible, you start noticing every black 350Z convertible. Mm -hmm. So if you're focused on what you want, you're going to find it. You're going to see it. You're going to find a way. If you focus on what's gone bad, then I don't know what you're going to get, but more of what's gone bad. So Mm. the the down ticks are just simply as somebody, I don't know who, you know, as you, as you, Go through a door and close it behind you. Well, guess what? You're somewhere else now. So mm. that's behind you, but I'm in a new place now. So I don't think anybody should be defined by a momentary downtick. Mm. I could have looked at that and said, oh, I screwed up. I blew it. I'm broke. Uh, I'll go back to DJing. Mm-hmm. But 
it's not what I wanted to do. I love it. Awesome. The first half of the interview has been awesome. You've been sharing some great stories with us. We're really getting some awesome takeaways from these stories. But now it's time for us to dive into the speed round. And you're just going to drop some big old restaurant bombs of knowledge on us. Are you ready, Cameron? I'm completely ready. <laughs> yes. All right. So during the pre-interview, Cameron and I were talking, and you had mentioned that you weren't too sure about the capital or getting started in a restaurant. But I've just heard so many things from your stories. And one thing I noticed is, and I'm sorry for going down this road, but I have to point it out. I mean, you were an, egg, an exit strategy for somebody. Um, when you got that first pizza place, like it was clear from the story that somebody just wanted out. And you got a pretty banging deal. Um that's one thing that has come up. Be someone's exit strategy. Do you think that's what happened in your circumstance? I do. And I've also taught uh, negotiating to restaurant owners as well. And everything I learned was from uh, Roger Dawson. You can just uh, Google that and find Roger Dawson's uh, negotiating course. And, and no business owner should be without it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the, the first thing I did when I bought the pizzeria, I already owned it. The, the, the owner of the building didn't even know it had been sold, and that's part of the lease, right? And the other yeah. guys didn't care. Hell, they were gone. So I went down there, and I told him that we've got a struggling business here. You want a tenant. I want to turn it around. I need a rent concession. And I lowered my rent uh, and extended my lease at the same time when the guy didn't owe me anything. Mm. But I just simply told him, I said, "Um, I can either pay you all the money. I said, it's not making any money now, but I can either pay you or I can put some money into marketing this thing and and make sure you have a long-term tenant. So what I'm willing to do is sign a longer-term lease, but I need the rate reduced. And Mm -hmm. boom, it was done in five minutes. Yeah, in this circumstance, it sounds like that you had the leverage. You had the upper hand in the situation because these people clearly wanted out. So maybe if you're listening at home, like where is a location in your community where people are clearly struggling? Just go there, approach them. Maybe you can get that killer deal where you can work something out, where you can take over um, and just... I don't even know. There's so there's so many things you can do to negotiate, but uh, just wanted to point that out. Thank you, Cameron. And uh, the next question I have for you is, uh, what are some resources you can share with us? I mean, you're somebody. I'll tell you what, did you did you want to hit the bombs? Because I've got a few. Let me share these. These are going to be helpful. Okay. Uh, so restaurant owners uh, need to first understand that the customers they attract are a direct result of their marketing. If you rely on discounts and Groupons all the time, you will attract attract discount buyers. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a trap that you set yourself. And if you want to attract people that are going to buy from you because uh, you've built a relationship, you've explained to them why they're buying from you, uh, that becomes a relationship sale versus a transaction that a discount shopper is looking for. So you be very careful about your marketing. If you continually put out the discounts, you're going to build your business on discount shoppers. Then you're in that uh, vulnerable race to the bottom when somebody else gets a little more desperate, cuts their prices, starts pulling your crowd. Mm -hmm. You've got to undercut them. Uh, So be very careful how you market your business Mm -hmm. because you attract the kind of customers uh, based on the marketing you put out. Mm. Second thing I think everybody needs to do is guarantee their product. I want you to imagine two restaurants, and one of them says no shoes, no shirt, no service, no checks, no refunds, versus... You walk to the other one right on the front door. It says, we make the finest pizza you will find anywhere. And if you should ever be disappointed, if we should fail you in any way or let you down for any reason, please let me know. If I can't make it right, I'll give you your money back, every penny. Mm. Which restaurant are you going to go into? The second one. (laughs) Duh. Yeah. So now my refund rate over the course of five years, I led with my my guarantee. I guaranteed the pizza. And my refund rate was two-tenths of one percent. So that means for every 1,000 orders, I gave two refunds. I would not have built my business without the guarantee. Do not be afraid to guarantee something. Mm. Can you guarantee lunch on your table in five minutes? Mm. Find something you can guarantee and guarantee it. Awesome. I love it. Those are some great bombs. Thank you for sharing them. The next question I have for you, Cameron, is on the topic of resources and books. I mean, are there any resources you can share with us? I mean, I know you, uh, you're a ninth grade dropout. So, I mean, you're clearly not a stupid person. I feel like a lot of your success was due to self-education. So what do you have for us? Well, the, the list, you know, my library would be way too extensive to go into. Um, 
I'm going to do a plug, and not not because I'm going to make you know ten bucks on it, but my book, Gun to the Head Marketing. I feel is a very solid resource for mm-hmm. restaurant owners. It really drills down on marketing. But I want to share another book with you. It's it's probably never been on your list. It's called The Six-Month Fix. Six it's months. by a guy named Gary Sutton, S-U-T-T-O-N. And it will open your mind to creative thinking when it comes to business. Now, I interviewed Gary one time for a uh, an article I was writing, and to give you an idea, Gary, he's a turnaround expert. He will go into a failing business, and he turns it around. That's what he does. In mm-hmm. fact, in the opening part of his book, he says, uh, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but it's, it's pretty much, if you own a business, let's hope that you and I never meet, because if we do, it means you're on your way out, and I'm on the way in. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and... Gary, and let's just call it widgets, he, he was uh, turning around a company, and, and they sold widgets, but they had a competitor that sold widgets, and, and they couldn't bring prices down anymore. I mean, they, they both had the same fixed cost. Widgets could not be lowered. He could not compete on price. Uh, but they shipped these widgets. So what did Gary do? <laughs> he moved the plant within about three blocks of FedEx's main hub, where you get the cheapest shipping that FedEx offers. Mm. It's right there in in Tennessee, you know, Nashville, Memphis, wherever it's at there. But he moved his plant right there, so now they could compete on shipping. Wow, that's the kind of out of the box thinking. That's brilliant. Yeah, that you're going to get in that book, the awesome. six month fix by Gary Sutton. Well, that was the first time this book's been mentioned, and it's on my to read list now. Thank you for sharing that. Are there any other resources like this you can think of that are just must reads for our listeners? You know, one thing that you can get for free on the Internet, and it's, it's uh, when I say free, don't think of it as a, a throwaway, but it's just the, the copyrights that are expired, so you can get anywhere. But My Life in Advertising by Claude Hopkins. That's another There's not first. an advertising or serious marketing person alive today that hasn't read that. And you can get a PDF. You can start reading it uh, today, and it's free. Awesome. Great resources. Uh, Claude Hopkins, yeah, Claude Hopkins started off working for Bissell Carpet Sweepers way back in the late 1800s, and he came up with cool little things to, you know, they they needed somebody to do some advertising. Claude stepped up, and um, he introduces you to things like scarcity and trial, and and um, it, you know, I'm not going to give it all away, but do not underestimate what you're going to find in that book. Claude Hopkins is the father of modern advertising. Mm-hmm. I mean, you guys need to be listening to Cameron right now. Like, this is what he does. Marketing is his strong point, and I really can't wait for you the question on the marketing advice, but uh, I'm definitely going to check out these books. Thank you so much for sharing them with us. The next yep. question I have for you is on the topic of... Actually, you know what? Sorry, I'm used to going in a different order. That is the next question, so hit us. What I mean, if you could just blow us away with one gigantic bomb or a bunch of little bombs of knowledge on marketing, what would it be? First, you cannot fill a bathtub without a stopper in the drain. Mm. Now, you can run water all day long, but if it's going out the other end, never fills. Mm-hmm. So if you spend all your money attracting customers, but you have no way to reach them again, you are in a never-ending spend, acquire, lose, and start over trap. So we the have first to f- way to... Sorry, go, go, ahead. go ahead. I was going to say, so we have um, to find a stopper? The stopper is simply you've got to fill a database with your customers. If you don't know who's coming and going, you can never, especially in today's, uh, you know, with all the technology that the other companies are using, if you're mom and pop and you're spending money to attract a customer, they walk in, they order a meal, and they walk out the door, that's not a customer. Mm. That was somebody that wandered in one time. Mm-hmm. And you can't put them on the treadmill, the, the you know, the marketing uh, cycle to start building a relationship with them. Mm-hmm. So I can ask probably not one out of 50 restaurant owners when I talk to them is able to come up with a list of their customers that haven't been in their restaurant in the last 30, 60, 90 days, right? Mm-hmm. Well, attrition is 18 to 20% a year because of death moving, going to competitors, etc. So many restaurants, I hear it all the time, it's kind of funny that they don't quite grasp this, but they, they say, wow, we were growing the first three or four years and we've just gone flat. Mm. You know, man, I keep doing the same stuff, but we are flat. I said, well, 
what you don't know is that you're losing about 20% of your customers every year, and so now all you're doing is replacing what you're losing. Mm-hmm. You can't grow anymore. Uh, retention is key to growth. Yeah. And so you must have a VIP, a loyalty, some kind of program, email club, something, where you are getting your customers' contact information. Now, the more information you can get about how they spend money with you and when they come in, the more precise your marketing can be. Mm-hmm. So that is you, – you can't be in business. You, you, you don't have a serious business if you don't have a customer list. That is your most valuable asset. Yeah, I mean, um, and I had circled earlier. You mentioned personal marketing or like face-to-face marketing. Um, is that a big part of this marketing cycle? You know, I don't get into that. That was um, when I said that. That's what I said I would do if I had to get a new customer within 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you want to do is leverage yourself because you can't, uh, you know, talk to you know two or three thousand people to get them in your restaurant. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can uh, now. I had a, a friend of mine. Bob uh, Slingerland, he owned a nightclub in Salt Lake, and I always tell the story that he knew everybody's name. He'd go up to everybody, and it was he'd run up to him, hey, man, how you doing? He'd run to the next table, hey, man, what's going on? He knew the face, but, I mean, everybody was man. Mm, yeah. But, uh, you know, he worked his crowd. Mm-hmm. But um, think of it back, you know, Andy Mayberry days. You know, if Andy walked into the drugstore, he knew the – the guy running the shop, and the guy knew Andy, and if uh, and he knew what Andy bought and how often he came in, and if Andy didn't come in for a week or two, the drugstore owner would know. He'd probably go knock on Andy's door. Hey, you okay? We can't do that today. When you've got two or three thousand people in your universe, you let technology do this for you. People are used to this. They, uh, the surveys we've done for our merchants, your customers actually want to get emails from you. They email is number one. Uh, social, like Facebook posting of things, is number two. And texting is, uh, ironically, dead last in how they want to hear from you. And I think that's because texting has become, you know, a lot of companies I just see abuse it. Uh, even Best Buy, you mm-hmm. know, Best Buy, uh, you get on their text thing and they overdo it. Uh, they overdo it with their emails, too. But I just opted out of the, the texting. I don't want it. You know, I don't, I don't need to know what's going on every day there. So... People's phones are, and especially texting, that's what friends send is a text. And so all this uh, near field and everything, you're driving by a restaurant, all of a sudden, bing, 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 hey, two-for-one margaritas. Well, imagine four or five businesses in this business park, and all of a sudden, bing, 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 you know, all these offers are showing up on your phone. It's gotten to the point of irritation. Mm. It was novel at one point. But anyway, you've got to have your customers in a, a, a program that you can reach them. Don't over-communicate. Three times a month or so is going to be good for most. Uh, You want to, we have a term we call customer spending potential. So we drill down and we find out that Bob will pay 20 bucks for a pizza, but we never see Mary unless uh, the offer is uh, $17.50. So what we're doing is we're finding out what are these customers comfortable spending, and then we send offers to bring them in at their comfort level, and it also puts more profit in your pocket because if you're doing these one-size-fits-all offers, Let's look at it this way. If Mary only comes in at seventeen fifty and Bob's happy to spend twenty, if you put out an offer for eighteen bucks, you've lost two bucks on Bob and you've lost Mary's purchase entirely. It's above her comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So that's where we drill down is to find out spending history, visit history, uh, what they like, and we personalize the marketing, make sure that each message that shows up is very meaningful for the customer. Okay. Awesome. So I'm going to try to summarize this real quick. I have a bunch of notes written down. You've been talking. I've been writing down. So like you said, uh, you can't fill a tub with a hole right in the bottom. So what, what I'm hearing is that you have to use data to plug that hole. And you can use this data to learn about your customer, to learn about their spending habits, what they like. Then you develop a list with loyalty programs. So you, then you can communicate with your customers to bring them back so they're not escaping through the bottom of the hole. Is that what I'm hearing from you? Correct. So all you need to do is is imagine that your customers are that flow of water. You spend a lot to bring them in. The, the numbers are all over the place, five to seven times as much you bring a new customer as an existing customer. But uh, you spend a lot to bring them in. So if you're flowing them through the front door, but they're flowing right out the back door mm. just as quick, you've got to find a way to, to know who they are, bring them back without having to spend that, that money again, to, you know, 
if you don't know who they are, you're, you're stuck with mass marketing all the time, the most expensive stuff that's out there, and it doesn't allow you to get the right offer to the right person on the right day. You just mm. have to kind of split the difference and put out the, your best guess offer to everybody and attract what you can. You're stuck in a trap. Mm. You've got to know your customer. The technology is here today to make that happen. And if you're not getting on board with that, you're going to be toast here pretty soon, unless awesome. there's just something so amazing about your restaurant. And there are some out there that, that are. You know, they don't need to market at all. Wow, this has been some really heavy, impactful marketing advice. Cameron, thank you for sharing it. And the next question I have is on the topic of technologies. I mean, there's so many, and you had kind of alluded to this earlier, there's so many new technologies you can use to help you automate that communication side. So let's kind of, since you're an expert in marketing, let's kind of talk about the technology question. Let's kind of mash these two together. And what are some resources, some technologies we can use to be more proficient, to be more effective and profitable with our marketing? Well, Okay, you, you need a point of sale that will allow you to put customer data in. Uh, I can't really be specific and say which one's a good fit for you mm-hmm. or not. But, um, so a point of sale has to at least provide that, and most of them do. Secondly, you need to give your customers a reason to give you their information. They don't just hand over their email address for nothing. So make it worth their while, and this becomes a... Um, quid pro quo, so to speak, that um, they know that you're going to send them messages, and that's why they're giving you their email address. So they're identifying themselves. I do want to hear from you. I would like to get an occasional offer from you. And then if you attach loyalty to that, what you've got is an interesting shift in the psychology of the relationship. If you keep sending discounts, discounts drive one visit and they train customers to wait for the next coupon. Mm. If you do loyalty, you drive multiple visits and more spending as customers spend more to get to their reward. Mm -hmm. So that's why you might want to consider putting loyalty in there. So not only do you now have an email address, you're tracking the purchases, and you're rewarding them, and a discount, you know, you're sacrificing money just to get the visit in the front door. And the problem with mass discounts is your own customers are the biggest users of them. Somebody that would come in anyway is now got a coupon in front of them. So heck yeah, they're going to use it. But with loyalty, the customer gets something after they've spent money with you and only after they've spent money with you over and over and over. So you're building the habit. They're getting in the um, uh you know, habit of, you know, I come in three or four times, then boom, there's something in my inbox. So it's a totally different psychology, and customers will perceive your business differently based on, again, how you market to them and what you put in front of them. Awesome. Great stuff. Great. Um, so, I mean... <laughs> What I'm hearing is basically you've got to get that list, that email list, and the benefit and loyalty is instead of discounting is you have to spend to get, if you know, so... Is that kind of the big takeaway there? With the, it's like, this is not my strong point. You can tell. <laughs> Just let me summarize this to you. So basically what I heard from that was with a POS system that offers like a customer uh, collecting data. And then if you have a loyalty program, what you're doing is you're forcing people into spending to get the reward. So they have to come back. They have to spend their money at your restaurant. And then at the same time, you're getting the emails, which will allow you to communicate to them to, to keep that connection going yeah yeah um you you want to stay top of mind and there's more to it than that it's like top of mind at the right time because each customer has their own unique buying cycle now with mass marketing okay boom i put out something on the payday cycles aren't i smart Mm -hmm. uh the only thing is uh 80 some odd percent of your customers are buying outside of the payday cycles there are ebbs and flows throughout the month but if i get an offer at the wrong time, it doesn't work for me. And mm-hmm. back to the discount or whatever, you know, Mary, she'll come in if it's seventeen fifty or lower. If it's eighteen bucks, so now it's the wrong offer, it's the wrong message, it's the wrong day. Mm-hmm. You are killing yourself. And that's where a lot of these owners, I think, get off the rails is they're more concerned about saving money than making money. Mm. And marketing, good marketing that that really automates this and get your customers flowing through your front door is not even an expense. Mm. You have a, a, a source of income here. This is something, uh, somebody uh, asked me one time, well, you know, how much should I spend on marketing? 
you know, 5%, 7%, it's a long way to look at it. Mm -hmm. What does it take to get people in the front door? Uh, if 10% made me the most money, I'd spend 10%. Mm. But if I could spend less and make more, then I'd spend less. Mm -hmm. So it depends on your marketing. You know, that's what, maybe that's a takeaway as well. I find people, uh, you know, and I don't know where it comes from, but what's the open rate? What does it matter? I mean, our open rates are double what constant contact's open rate is. But what, at the end of the day, and I mean, that's for the restaurant segment, at the end of the day, how much money did they spend with you? Mm. So if only 10 people opened it but spent $10,000, that's better than 100 people opening it and spending 50 bucks. So open rates are good, but what, what got them in and how much they spent is better. Mm. And um, The impact there is what I'm hearing. It's, it's the, the, how much impact what you're doing has is what I'm hearing. And this is all great, great advice, Cameron. Thank you so much. Um, you really have opened my eyes to the power and just the depth that goes into thinking about this. And I really want to learn more about it. So I'm definitely going to be checking out some of your books. Um, I hope we can, are there any other resources you can think of that kind of explain this deeper? Uh, you know, again, I, I just would, would point you to gun to the head marketing. It pretty much covers mm -hmm. that. It's, awesome. you know, if you want to, you know, get that book and read it, but there's one thing, um, if, you know, the, the, the question that I, um, you know, you haven't asked yet, but I think that we, we should get to is what should restaurant owners fear? Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, there's two things. One is what we call a harvesting program. A lot of restaurant owners are busy. They've got a lot going on. When somebody walks in and flashes a quick, you know, uh, nice-looking tablet in front of their face or a mobile app or something and talks about easy, hands-off loyalty and 30-day uh, trial and all that kind of stuff, they'll sign up for it. There's a lot of companies out there. I don't need to name them. I will if you want. But um, that they come in and they say, hey, we've got the best loyalty program you've ever seen. Your customers come in. They get a card or a mobile app here, and they can use it anywhere. So it's really cool. Well, here's the deal. <laughs> Eric, would you share your customer list with your competitors? Mm, I wouldn't. I, I don't want somebody joining a reward program at my store and then getting an email from the provider saying, hey, I see you like pizza. Did you know there's another pizza three blocks from Eric's place? Why don't you go try that one? Here's an offer. Mm. Be very careful. If you go to a website, if somebody is pitching you on a program, you go to their website, and they have a map showing all the participating locations, danger sign. That means that your customers are going to be exposed to all of that, and you are now doing nothing but sharing your customers with all of your competitors, and you're paying to do that. Wow. Be very wow. careful. What we do is one-to-one -one marketing. We market from your restaurant to your customer, period. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the point of sale that claims to do everything. Uh, God, it's been close to 100 years that we were going to have the flying car, right? Mm. Drive here and then fly there and everything. It didn't quite work that way. We've got planes and we've got cars. Some of the point-of-sale manufacturers, I was at Pete's Expo, and a client walked me up to a vendor because they said their POS does everything that Repeat Returns does. It has all the same marketing, right? So I went down the list and asked her a bunch of questions. She said, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah, it does all of that. At the end of the day, what it did is it added up points when a customer would buy from you. You got to go into your database and search and create reports. You got to download the database. You got to take that database and upload it to another email provider, and then you got to create and send your emails. Mm -hmm. So watch out for the hype. A lot of salespeople will sell you anything to sell you their, their point of sale. If you're looking for marketing, be very specific and, and have them show you how it works. Because when you hear terms like actionable data, that means you take the action. They talk about data insights, you need to have the insight. Mm -hmm. They talk about email uh, integration. Well, that means another email program that you get to go over and, and create your emails and stuff. So if you're looking for automation, ask these questions, have them show you how it works. If you don't mind doing all this work, then have at it. Awesome. And you've given us some great advice. You answered the question, what's one question I could have asked you that would have added more value just then? So if you could go back in time, Cameron, and just Give yourself one piece of advice, say, when you're opening that pizza place. What would it be? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I'm, <laughs> I'm always optimistic. I, I go into everything with a mindset that, that I can make it work. I'm positive. Um, yeah, to go back, I mean, I'm happy with where I'm at today. So to go back and change something, I don't know what the outcome would be. It could be better. It could be worse. So 
Um, I just don't have a good answer for you. On no, that. that's good. I mean, you wouldn't change a thing. And I think we're going to learn a lot from you and what you've done. Just always keeping your eyes to the future, having that perseverance, uh, self-educating and just always taking a chance, never giving up. I mean, that's great advice right there. So we're going to wrap it up, Cameron. We wrap it up by having you call somebody out. Who's one indie restaurant professional you admire and believe would make a great guest on the show. Here's a guy, his name, um, is he's Big Dave Ostrander, and it's O-S-T-R-A-N-D-E-R. Now, Dave is a long-term consultant in the um, pizzeria business, but pizzeria marketing is the most aggressive marketing there is. I mean, you know, restaurants market, but, you know, pizza started it all with door hangers mm-hmm. and everything else they do. So what Dave, he has a broad knowledge base of everything from operations to marketing, and a quick background on Dave. He fought in the Vietnam War. He got taken prisoner. Him and a couple of his buddies that got taken prisoner, they'd been marched several days to North Vietnam. And in the middle of the night, without getting into the gruesome details, let's just say that Dave and his buddies were on their way south again. And so when he ended up getting in the pizza business and some other pizzerias came to town, uh, he fought them all off very well. You know, he ran some of the biggest chains uh, out of his town and had one of the highest-grossing pizzerias in the country. You can learn a lot from him. I would go to BigDaveOstrander.com, look at his website, and he's got a lot of free stuff sitting there. So eyeball it. And uh, even if you have a, you know, if you have a restaurant, you know, some people say, well, how does the pizzeria thing help me with my restaurant? I don't know. I just, I just help you learn how to sell apples, but you're telling me you have oranges. Come on, man. <laughs> awesome. I love this. I mean, Big Dave, I'm coming after you. This is great stuff. I'm excited to tap your mind. And uh, let the folks at home know, Cameron, how can we connect with you um, and let us know more about what you got going on with Repeat Returns? Okay. Repeat Returns is a done-for-you restaurant pizzeria marketing service. Uh, we do not accept everybody that contacts us. We're a good fit for the real professional operators, the ones that don't make excuses, the ones that do have control of their employees, the ones that do want to make money. And I don't want to bring, you know, like if somebody's uh, floating their payroll on a credit card and their last rent payment was made from the exhaustion of their home equity line, I can't save you. I cannot multiply zeros. I don't Mm -hmm. want to offer you false hope and take your money. If you've got a good viable business and you're running it and your employees do what they're told, We're going to rock your world. We're going to change your life. Mm -hmm. But you decide if it's a fit for you, if what we do. So what we do is we take a lot of what we've talked about today and more, you know, surveys and mobile apps, all all the other fancy stuff you hear about. We determine what's a good fit for you to build your your sales. And if you like what you see, we put you on board. There's no contracts, no uh, minimums, cancel any time. But we just feel it's a good uh, fit to make sure that we're both going to work well together and we're going to – oh, you know what? Let me um, – I want to uh, – we just ran some numbers on a client this morning. Let me uh, – so the, 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 the customers, we just call it optimizing the customer. A lot of people talk about optimizing their marketing. You can't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, it, well, you can, but, I mean, you can never get to the perfect point. Uh, by optimizing each customer, you, you optimize your marketing like you've never seen. But the customers that, we're, that we've optimized for this one particular client I'm looking at right here, in the last two – years, roughly 24 months here, the customers in our program have made 11.16 visits during that period. Now, that means some came in once and never came back, but on average, he's got thousands of customers that average 11 visits. The customers that are not in our program that we're not communicating with made 3.95 visits. So you you contrast, we generate 11 visits out of a customer versus four visits if left to their own devices. Mm. And so... That's, that's an example of when you optimize at the customer level and give them constant, continual reasons to come and visit you and spend money. Mm, awesome. So is there an email or a website or a Twitter handle you want to share with the folks to learn more? You know, repeatreturns.com. You know, it's repeat returns with an S on the end, so repeatreturns.com. Uh, take a peek. We don't pressure anybody. Uh, if you do mention... Uh, Restaurant Unstoppable, of course, I'll, uh, 
be happy to talk to you myself. And, and uh, we don't even have salespeople. I and mean, we've got a few reps out that um, work with food distributors and things. But um, I don't sell you. I show you what we have. If you like it, and I'm not here to educate you either. If, if you don't get it, it's just not going to be a fit right now. But mm-hmm. if, you, if you grasp this and want to deploy it for the cost of a cell phone bill, then this is probably a good fit. And if not, then I'll even point you to other things. I'll even point out other uh, providers that may be a better fit for, where, you know, for your level and what you want to do. Awesome. Great. I'll have the links in the show notes, a recap of everything we discussed, the links to the books that were mentioned, and a link over to repeat returns. Uh, Cameron, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. You've been so insightful. My mind's racing right now. I can't wait to check out these books. Uh, You're truly unstoppable. I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you. Cheers. Another episode in the bags here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thank you so much, Cameron Carrington. Uh, so much great advice and some awesome stories packed in today's episode. Uh, some just really actionable advice on marketing here. I hope you guys listened and you were paying attention to that. I learned a lot. I can't wait to pick up his book there, Gun to the Head Marketing. I'll have that in the links. And uh, if you want to check out the things we discussed, a recap of everything, go to www.restaurantunstoppable.com slash Cameron Carrington. And that is K-A-M-R-O-N-K-A-R-I-N-G-T-O-N. And don't forget to check out repeatreturns.com. I'll have those links in the show notes as well. Make sure you mention Restaurant Unstoppable. And like always, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. If you can think of a potential guest mentor, a successful restaurateur, general manager, executive chef, consultant uh, that you think would just make a great guest here on the show, I'll do everything humanly possible to get them on the show or just give me a topic matter to discuss i'll get an expert on the show i'll do my best all right guys that's all i have for you today until next time peace out